Hi, folks. Thanks for joining us today for this Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Intellects. We are going to give our audience members just a minute to settle in, and we'll start the presentation shortly. Thank you. Thank you again for everyone for joining us today. We'll give our audience just another few seconds to settle in here uh, before we start the presentation. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, Going from Good to Great, Transforming Safety Performance with Technology, sponsored by Intellects. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an Associate Editor at Safety and Health. I'll be moderating today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with you all. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organizations are their own, and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the Council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speakers. If you have a question, just click on that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and tap the Send button. We welcome your questions at any time during today's event. After this presentation, you'll also be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll also receive a link in our post-event email. With that, let's introduce our presenters. With us today are Scott Gaddis and Justin McElhatton. Scott is the Vice President and Global Practice Leader, Safety and Health at Intellects. He is responsible for the engagement of EHS professionals around the globe to provide a platform for sharing information and collectively driving solutions that mitigate workplace loss. Justin serves as the Vice President and Group President, Environmental Health and Safety at Fortive. His responsibilities include buildings Fortive's presence as an EHS leader, and other critical sustainability solutions. Previously, Justin served as the president and CEO of Industrial Scientific. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. And Justin, whenever you're ready, take it away. Gary, thanks so much. And thanks to everybody who's, uh, who's joined us for this, uh, for this discussion today. We're, it's a topic we're very excited about. Scott and I had the opportunity to talk last week in San Diego and had some really, uh, really good conversations um, through the through the discussion and, and afterwards. So uh, we hope this is valuable and, and look forward to, to, to your questions. Um, one of the things we love to talk about at Intellects and Industrial Scientific is the vision that we have. And we talk about uh, the dedication we have of our careers to eliminating death on the job. 
Uh, I always want to point out that that uh, this is a two-part statement. This is about the the way the movement that we are plugged into, the dedication of our careers to this, um, and we work with uh, about twelve hundred like-minded individuals across our businesses here as we seek to make that that world a reality. And I, there's nothing I love more than than something like last week where we're able to be face to face with so many of you who are dedicating your careers to creating better environmental health and safety outcomes and eliminating uh, these, these preventable tragedies that, um, uh, that happen every single day around the world in numbers that, uh, that we need to be ashamed of and driven by to, to, to lead change. So it's something we take very seriously and are honored to work alongside uh, many of you as, as we chase this vision. I always like to start um, with the story of Crystal, Crystal Eastman. I am based here in Pittsburgh. Uh, and it's where the Pittsburgh survey was done in 1910. Crystal Eastman published a book. I actually have a first uh, edition printing of this called Work Accidents in the Law. And in it, she traced about 550 workplace fatalities that occurred in Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is, uh, in a one-year period. It's, it's astonishing how many people were killed uh, and, and, and how many awful um, non-fatal uh, accidents occurred in that time. And you see the death calendar on the right and the number of people killed uh, each, uh, each month uh, and each day. Um, we tend to have a, fewer than a dozen now, um, but that's still unacceptable. And, and if we go back to kind of the prescription for 19, you know, the early 1900s, uh, it was pretty clear what we needed to do. Uh, she outlines this very well in her book and has a number of recommendations. Uh, and, and some of these were legislative, um, looking at how we, how we built things and the standards that we built things to and how we legislated uh, hours of work and who could work and child labor and things like that. Uh, but some of them were also technological. And one of the stories I love from the book is the, um, the emergence of, of automatic rail card coupling technology that drove uh, brakeman uh, fatalities to, to virtually none. They, that was one of the highest occurrences was uh, brakemen getting crushed between cars and uh, a combination of technology with that automatically automatic coupling uh, and some legislation to ensure that that was the standard to standardize that across railroads, uh, uh, rail lines in the US really had a significant impact on people getting home from work uh, safe and healthy. If we go back the last 112 years, we have certainly had uh, reductions in our um, in workplace fatalities. We go back to 1970 and OSHA and, and, and all of these things. Uh, as a society, over decades and a century, we are trending in the right direction. However, uh, when we look at, at things in the near term, um, we are not going in the right direction. And you can look at this from a from a US-centric view where, where we have increasing fatal occupational uh, injuries uh, over time, uh, or you know, ones that are now indexed to GDP growth and where we've stopped creating inflection points, which is completely unacceptable in my mind. Um, and if we look at this on a global level, the fact that almost 3 million people die each year because of their job, whether it's from an accident, uh, almost half a million people killed each year because of accidents, uh, or, or two and a half million uh, killed because of exposures or, or occupational disease. Um, these are things that, that we want to be part of changing. Um, Scott's a practitioner. I am not a practitioner. 
but have been in this industry almost 30 years and have, have, have really, um, you know, we see things I think where we can add value uh, as suppliers to the industry. And this is such an interesting time right now. Um, we look at this transformation, and I'm sure many of you are feeling this, this same thing, that there is, a, there is a change going on in the EHS world in ways that I've not seen in my career until the last couple of years. And, and it's an exhilarating time and one that we have the obligation to, uh, to maximize uh, the impact that we have. And I see things as really two big changes. Um, one is that we used to view, I used to always use the phrase critical but non-strategic, uh, that we had to do our jobs well, um, or people got hurt or killed. Um, and But it wasn't really strategic. And now with a number of uh, tailwinds, I think when you see the some of the, the, the higher consciousness of workplace standards um, from employment shortages, from, from uh, ESG, from, from COVID, the people are realizing that EHS is something I think all of us on this, if you're on this call, you've probably believed all along. Um, you're dedicating your career to this function uh, and this body of work that is truly strategic, that can help companies differentiate themselves in meaningful ways um, and drive overall better business performance. So we're seeing that broadly. And the second, uh, just given the exposure we have to the technology, uh, we, I think we for too long have tolerated things that are disconnected and complex. Um, and we are now seeing those who we serve in our organizations, our stakeholders, our internal customers, our external customers, demanding connected and easy. And I feel that our, our role uh, is to help you um, maximize both of these kind of simplistic, uh, not simple, not simplistic, but simple views of, of tomorrow um, uh, to deliver better outcomes across the board in EHS. We're chasing this from a couple of different uh, dimensions. One is from um, if, uh, Fortif. Uh, Fortif is the business that I work for that acquired industrial, scientific, intellects, ESI, and others. Uh, we're part of a, of, a, of a universe that is a number of operating businesses um, uh, that, are, that are working through consistent workflows. I'm responsible for the EHS businesses in, in Fortif. Um, and we have the opportunity to partner with company, great companies like Fluke, Tektronics, and others that are um, at the point of impact uh, in, in how operations are done. And so kind of in a for-profit world, there is certainly um, much innovation that's happening and, and, and will be delivered over time. But the other thing, and, and being part of the NSC, we're very proud to be a founding member of the Campbell Institute. Uh, an organization that's helping to set standards for, for what excellence looks like in EH, EHS. Um, and also the work to zero advisory council is something that we are deeply involved in with, with the NSC. So we're proud to, to work across a number of fronts towards achieving this vision and, and to help uh, be a part of that conversation of what, what great looks like uh, and how do we help um, uh, our, our, our customers and, and those we work with every day get there. So we're grateful for the opportunity uh, to talk to you about this. I'm gonna turn this over uh, at this point now to, to Scott Gaddis and he's gonna, uh, he's gonna take it through the, uh, um, through the, the specifics around that. Scott, over to you. Thank you, Justin. And um, I, I would say I, I was thrilled to get a chance to present with Justin. Uh, I may be a practitioner. Yeah, I have been for, for 30 years. So I, I've been mostly on the front lines where many of you are today. 
but uh, but Justin uh, was in a position of providing tools not only to me but to many of you, and now uh, he's providing a toolbox right of technology and uh, and using those tools to to really further what we're able to do and to leverage what we've always thought that we could do. So that is is my part of the presentation. I'm going to take you through what we see as some of the the market trends or what I I really consider the EHS trends that affect the way that we do our, our jobs as, uh, as safety practitioners. I, I always literally go back to the management system and see how technology influences the management system as I look at it. And then I'll share at the end of the presentation four or five different technologies that I'm excited about as a practitioner that I've included in the presentation that to me are, are fairly easy lifts for you to, to think about. So that's that's what I hope to do today. And uh, there, I could talk about this for hours, but we just have a short short time uh, period to do it. So I'll, I'll start with some market trends and, and how I think that we're going to, to be influenced or at least leveraged by technology in the space. Uh, ESG, many of you have, uh, have already heard about that. You've probably uh, spent time uh, exploring, you know, what that really means to you as a safety and health practitioner. But we see that ESG is escalating EHS from critical to strategic and with an emphasis on corporate or corporate disclosures, information management. Uh, think about this in the framework of all those non-financial measurements or metrics that are asked of you. Uh, it, it'll start with uh, you know scope one of just uh, trying to gather carbon emissions, but that will continue to pivot to scope two, scope three documents where you'll find yourself trying to chase you know raw materials and critical goods and uh, end of use on on some of the products that you 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 manufacture possibly. Uh, but that's just on the E side of things. But on the S side of things, in that social uh, channel you're going to be pressed to provide uh, safety information that maybe you've not considered in the past. And uh, we think as a technology company, that's only going to continue to strain you uh, for the desire to get information from your uh, particular part of the functional support team. So we think that this is going to continue to be a big area of concern, not only for environmental but for safety professionals as well. Think about it this way, and I was reading this through some research, is that uh, there's going to be an element where we are living within this idea of always being benchmarked, right? So if you think about that, we're gonna be compared against the, uh, the, the competitors that we're in the same channel with, as well as those outside of the channel. So think about it that way that you'll always be uh, you know, considered to be a benchmark for those that are looking to invest in you, those that are looking to, uh, to buy from you and, and all of those things associated with what you may do. So that's a, a market trend. We, we don't think it's going away. We think it's gonna get increasingly bigger. Uh, I also think proactive risk management is coming to the forefront. If you think about us a decade ago or even you know, two decades ago, we were very invested in qualitative measurements and, and how to understand risk. Now we've layered in an approach of trying to score risk, trying to, to, to figure out 
right? What is, is persistent within the work system and going about it uh, through the use of levering technology to really understanding how much risk is residing in the work system. And then of course, building controls. We think that uh, all of the, uh, the, the forerunners are those that are really pressing forward with this are using technology to, to gain better understanding. A digitalization of EHS process is continuing to grow, especially for us as a technology company. We're, we're seeing uh, customers really wanting to get away from fragmented systems. You know, you probably looked at my bio and said, wow, you, you probably have been around a while. I have. You know, I've been doing this for over 30 years and I started when I did, you know, just have paper and pencil and, and a few Microsoft products to uh, to use. So I had data line everywhere. Uh, we think in this decade ahead, and I'll, I'll talk about that just in, in, in just a few moments, but we think that those fragmented systems will have to go away because you're you're going to be consuming so much more data. Regulatory complexity, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but it continues to grow, especially with the globalization of many organizations, lots of complexity within the regulations that you're trying to highlight, and there's a lot of opportunity to use technology to, uh, to ease some of that burden. Uh, companies are increasingly looking how to use all that data. Uh, so, you know, using technology, we can parse it differently. We can run uh, 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 systems up under that, right, to, uh, to algorithms to understand that much differently and parse it in a way that allows you to make a better decision. Oh, I often uh, veer away from predictive analytics uh, but I like prescriptive analytics, right? So there's there's a place for both. But I still like having a little bit of control uh, in decision making. But predictive analytics will continue to grow in our space. We certainly have data scientists that uh, that that focus on just that. But giving you the information that you need in a concise uh, manner that allows you to make better decisions. We continue to see that area grow for us. And then of course, that, that fun area, right? Uh, Industry 4.0, IoT, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, sens sensors and wearables, they present a lot of novel opportunity for uh, challenges that, that we've had. Uh, you know, some of those challenges have been very difficult to overcome. Things like lone worker, biometrics, fugitive air monitoring, robots, exoskeletons, all of those things may be new to you, and uh, but they may seem out of reach, but we're seeing that more normalized. Uh, next slide, please. So with all of that said, you know, there's there's an ever-changing landscape, I think, in, in EHS. And uh, I did not enter the, the space in the 1970s, but I did in, in the late 1980s. And we saw this, we witnessed, right, this evolution of human behavior. And we had a lot of resultant program, you know, around that. So basically being able to observe someone, look for those antecedents that we cared about, and then give feedback. And, and many of you were there along that way. Uh, in the 90s, we ushered in this idea of, of knowledge and capability training through new methods. You know, it was very common for us to buy computerized systems, setting, uh, you know, employees in front of a computer and having them take some of those lessons that uh, that we did not want to do in, in classroom. And then over the last couple of decades, uh, starting in 2000, right, there was this inflection point. So we started seeing, uh, and that was the Internet. So we started seeing things rapidly advance in, in, uh, in EHS. I would say a couple of things here. Uh, the things like HOP, 
you know, started coming on the scene, human and organizational performance. And that saw us combining a lot of things together. So training, behavior, compliance, all of those things mattered. But we knew that they were weighted differently within the work system. So we were using those, those different tools that we had to mitigate the risk. Now in the two, two, our 2020s, right, this decade that we're in now, uh, we've ushered in, you know, Industry 4.0, which describes this fourth industrial revolution. That includes cyber physical systems, the Internet of Things, right, all of those things that we've talked about. But look right below that, digital native learners, right? So those are the workers. Think about this millennials down. They have these different perceptions of what they see in the workplace. Uh, they're the largest, largest demographic now that we have uh, working for us, or they're the largest people group that we have. And then uh, they expect so many things much differently than how I grew up and I'm a digital native. So everything I know about technology, I've learned it mostly as an adult. So you can see that there are differences in the way they learn, the way that they accept information, or even how they get information. I would say this is that technology also helps define millennials down. Uh, so most are rely on social media. They're taking information in smaller bites, and they always have a smart device or a mobile device in their hand. And, and most of you know that. So they expect to, to see uh, technology as an answer to some of their problems that they have. Next slide, please. I think, and, and I've used this uh, quite, quite often, many years ago, I, I was speaking to a group of safety and health professionals, and, and I, I got a question, you know, from the audience. They asked me what I thought the most important job was as a safety and health professional, and, and I said that, a vital and possibly the most important job for EHS leaders is to leverage the behaviors of employees to make correct decisions by removing variables from the work that that drive them to make the wrong decisions. So it's barrier control, right? It's staying in front of, of your work system and watching for these errors that uh, that are within, that are residing within that work system. You know, some of those are very dormant, so they just kind of float around in your management system. Uh, then they become armed, you know, so somebody starts making these decisions, they're ready to strike, and then they become activated when a, a substandard decision is made. So our, our role really as, as safety and health professionals is to, to reach back into the management systems and isolate where those errors could happen or what I call error control or barrier control. So think about this in, in, in the framework of using technology. Are there technology advances that allows you to look deeper into your management system and consider new control efforts to, uh, to remove some of those things, to mitigate some of those things so they could not pass a threshold of loss. Uh, next slide, please. So, you know, with all that said, you know, you're working with a management system, right? You may be using ISO 45001 or 14001 or 9001 or the newest one, ANSI Z10, or you may just have a hybrid of a lot of things, you know, which, you know, much of my life I, I did. Uh, next, next movement, please, Justin. You also have these sources of data. You know, you have incidents, you have observations, you have behaviors and injuries, a long list of things, right, that you have data on. But it may be within your system. It may just be lying there, fragmented, where it's not uh, much use. Next movement, please, Justin. And then what I consider these are are the levers. You know, so I often ask practitioners 
you know, before you can fix your problems, you got to know what your problems are, right? So that's an audit of your management system. And then another consideration is that to understand that all management systems are really interwoven, right? So if we have a quality management system or a health management system on our operations management systems, all of those factors are interwoven and they touch into your management system, your safety management system. So what it all means, and, and uh, you know, Deming said this best, is that we're all independent, right, of one another. So when things happen to one part of the system, it possibly and most likely will affect your part of the management system. So with that thinking in mind, how do you move these management systems forward? I think, you know, one of the things, and I've used this particular model probably for 25 years, is that, you know, to move a management system, you really do have to work on capability development and capacity. One of those is how much I know, what's my skill level, and then can I give it back or am I allowed to give it back to the organization? The second piece of that is control of the physical environment. That's everything from regulatory compliance. Do I have JSAs? Uh, am I doing inspections and auditing? Do I do hazard ID campaigns? Do I know what's going on in the work system? Uh, so a lot of things, right? Uh, but I would say this, that many safety and health professionals get stuck, right, in that one element of the management system. They're just running a very compliant-based uh, program. Uh, that third, and, and maybe one of the more fun things, uh, if not infuriating things at times, is this behavior and engagement piece is, you know, that's BBS, you know, and some of you certainly use that. But bigger than that, it's, it's driving expectation, it's mentoring, it's practicing, it's coaching. It's all of those things that are softer, you know, from some of us, but they are imperative if you're trying to move a management system forward. A management accountability, probably where I've spent most of my time, it's objective setting, it's, it's making sure we're doing gimbal leadership walks, you know, on the manufacturing floor or the service floor. Uh, it's, it's system monitoring, it's, it's communications, it's setting vision, it's setting mission, right? And it's holding a leadership team accountable for what they are to the organization. So it's value setting, right? It's driving value within the system. So many times, you know, I hear this, well, what does this have to do with technology? I look at it and say, is there a place where technology can leverage change to the uh, to the system that we've not been able to leverage before? And I think there is. Next next slide, please. We uh, we did a a couple of pieces of research. Um, so supporting maybe some of those thoughts, we we commissioned new research and and we did this in Europe actually where we had uh, maybe some more refined organizations, especially from a risk standpoint. Uh, but we did uh, surveying of over 700 EHS and ESG professionals. We do have a, a full published report, but some of our salient findings from that, um, I, I was not surprised by really anything that I had heard. And if you were to ask me, uh, have these been resilient problems that we've seen for a long, long time? I would say yes. Uh, some of them certainly are uh, with the times that we're in, like adopting a broader perspective. There is an increasing concern, and, and maybe the more forthright thing I could share is that uh, safety and health and environmental work, they, that we do now understand that it could have a negative impact 
on not only the organization, but maybe even the community. So we are starting to understand that functional support from an EHS perspective means more to the business than ever. So we do have a seat at the table, so to speak, and we need to use that influence in driving some of the, uh, the work systems that we care about. Protecting the planet and defending the bottom line we're seeing a greater focus to minimize harm you know, to the business environment and harm to the environment. So we don't think that's gonna go away. And you certainly see that daily you know, in the evening news. And then uh, the last one there is getting employees in, in, on board. We see respondents increasing their focus by meeting these challenges that they've had that hinder employee involvement. Uh, there's almost been this separation between a management team or a mid-level team and then those that serve on the front line. I think notable on this particular slide is that 40% of those surveyed believe that technology and training and capability development are their path for improving safety and health in their organization. So uh, certainly take that note. Next slide, please. We also ask this question. What are the biggest uh, safety and health challenges that you face today? And you can advance that slide, Justin. And, and this, this is, is really what, what we discovered. 41% said employee participation was key to success. 33% said that a trained workforce and following close behind that was implementing a culture of safety. So as I look at all of that data, right, looking at all this data that we've collected, it really is apparent that we still have a lot of room to better the culture with safety partnership, right? It begs this question to me, is there a work system lever that's missing that could close this gap? Uh, and I, I believe that as I reflect on that, I think that there is. Advance those next slides, Justin. And you can go to the next one. Yeah, I think it's this, right? We set up this challenge is the challenge is to create a very sustainable performance culture. And I've underlined this because I think it's really important where heightened decisions happen without thinking too deeply about them. It's just not been normal, but it should be. Good data is necessary to gain insight about the work system and then provide you a picture an effort to reduce these risks in your management system. So think about you and your personal life and how you go about decision-making and then ask yourself, am I affording the, the workers, the employees that we have in our organization, those same tools to make a good decision or what I started with, you know, just a few slides back, can I remove all of this variability from the work system that allows them to make the best decision easily? Right. So that's a uh, that's a big, big question. And I hope that I can answer some of that as we go forward. Next slide, please, Justin. So I, I really do think this. I think that the technology is, is certainly become a big lever to success. I, I I've changed the way that I look at this model and some of you know these models, when I look at them, I say, well, that's a big circle around these four things that I care about. So regardless of how I, I put it on the slide, I do believe that technology is a huge lever in how we're going to be successful you know, going forward. And why is that? Well, I, I think it's, it's simply because of all of those things that I've talked about. But what I would say is this, is that the work environment is getting faster and it's getting more complicated. And I talk to colleagues quite often and they're very concerned about things like machine learning, where now we have assets that are making quote decisions, 
you know, based on how it was running an hour ago, a month ago, maybe a last quarter, but it's starting to make those decisions, quote, on its own, right, without a lot of interaction between that and the operator. So what are those new risks that that poses for a safety and health professional in trying to build training programs, trying to build protection program, right, to, to in an area that we're not quite sure how to, uh, to control yet. So there's a lot of these, these areas that I know that you must be concerned about. Uh, next slide, please. So we think it's, it's, it's really this, it's proactive safety at the front line that's gonna be this new inflection point, especially for us as a technology company. And not too many weeks ago, we, we collectively put together the very best talent in our company for strategy setting and, and mapping out, you know, where we thought the technology needed to go in regard to our journey. Not only, you know, how we look at, at servicing clients, but how we lead programming differently that makes a difference for you. And in essence, you know, we, we, we don't want to simply develop uh, solutions that you believe that are desired from, quote, a safety and health team. What we want to be able to do is to deliver solutions to you to get it from the safety and health team or the environmental team all the way out to the front line. And that's a game changer. I know, you know, I've, I've led Kimberly Clark, I've led Bristol Myers Squibb, and most of my success has been when I could get program away from my teams all the way out to the front line, right? Where decisions are being made uh, on how products are made or how services are delivered. So it's a really, really important step for you to consider when you're thinking about this technology journey. So, you know, I'm gonna just talk about a few examples uh, that I think are exciting to me as a practitioner. Uh, they don't include every you know technology example that I could 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 share today, but at least they're 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 easy lifts for you to to uh, to consider. And and uh, maybe most of you will say, well, I can I can certainly implement that, right? So I'm hoping that that we can do that you know in the rest period of time. Uh, next slide, please. So I think you know one of the more powerful truths about data is that it's laying everywhere, right? Is that we have it around us. We have it in Word, we have it in Excel, maybe Access, all types of Microsoft tools. But for this discussion, what we did is, is with our customers, we have over 1400 customers, uh, probably 5 million touch points in those, those systems quite often. But we began to look at the data in our systems and started to compare the data of our best performing clients to the metrics that they were following. So kind of think about that, right? Uh, so they're, they're following these metrics. They have heavy participation in those metrics that they follow. And then, you know, when I looked at trailing indicators like OIR, TIR, DART rates, uh, our better performing clients also had uh, metrics that supported that they were doing very, very well. We call this the engagement score or the safety engagement score. And if you'll advance that slide, Justin, uh, these are the areas that we found that our best performing clients were following with understanding what metrics that were important to them. And, you know, one of the first things that I would ask you to note is that there is no out of the box metric there that probably, right, is new to you, is, you know, auditing, information distribution, which is document control, which is, you know, all of those things that we care about, uh, communication, meetings management, do I have employees that are going to toolbox talks? Are they attending safety meetings that are required? 
incident investigations, are they assigned, are they performed, are they completed, training, do they go to safety training, are they, you know, performing well in safety training, recognition, am I, you know, giving uh, the communication in a positive way, do I hear from a plant manager or a facility manager, you know, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, actions management, Kappa control, you know, are we completing the things that we say that we'll do that takes risk away from the system? And then finally, hazards and observations. Do I see the behaviors that are desired in the system? Am I noting hazardous, you know, things that I, I find within the workplace? So those are just really generally things that you're probably doing today. But let me tell you what we've done with it. We ran an algorithm under all of these metrics. And the next slide, please, Justin, is that we started looking at them differently. So we collected all of these areas from the management system. But I, 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 I could say this. I, I'm not sure that those are the magic eight. I think you could have 10 or 12. It's, it's really the metrics that you cared about. But on this slide, we show it, you know, after running an algorithm under this information and show a single, what we call an ordinal score. And it really makes it easy for you to measure and compare the strength of your engagement. Uh, so if you can, in layman terms, take those eight that are represented there, crunching them all up with an algorithm, right, and popping out a process score. So this is about process robustness. Over time, it really allows you to gauge the effectiveness of your program investments. Uh, it shows you, you know, what shift crew or what plan or what part of the business that has outliers, both on a good side of things and then, of course, on a low performing side of things. So what I did with this, and, and uh, I think what uh, what it, the power of this is that you can compare, you could pair good performers with not so great performers, right? So you can pull the journey up for a low performer. You can also compare, you know, facilities or you compare uh, uh, shift crews or, you know, all of those things, right? It really does open up a lot of things for you to, to naturally pull low performers up, right? And it also does a, an, another couple of things. We have a client that no longer has to push program to his or his plants, but he's actually pulled, right? So, so we notice that we're low in a certain area of our process. Can you come help? So we think there's a tremendous amount of power in determining what good looks like uh, for, for your organization and then getting better, you know, over time. So if you kind of look at this with this whole idea of lean methodology, you're not so concerned, right, about uh, the 6.7. What you're concerned about is, is my process growing or is it is it falling behind? So you're really responding to red, yellow, or green. And, and that's a very positive way to look at performance of where you're always trying to judge process strength. So we think that that's a, a piece of technology that is fairly easy to scale in organizations that really works for your benefit. And then, you know, for me, I was always challenged with having few metrics that rolled up to a corporate level. This is one that I could really share that could capture a lot of metrics that I, that I care for, but it presents it in a way that's easily understood. Uh, next slide, please. Communicating with, with purpose, and, and this is really where I start getting really excited because, again, you know, I, I, I've shared that I've been doing this for a long time, but thinking about how we reach the front line, 
Um, you know, when I started, I was on the floor and, and I've always been someone that's been active in the field. I like the relationship building. I like visually seeing what's, uh, what, what's a challenge, but the ability to communicate deep in the organization, I think it's a game changer. And, and thinking about how we reach, you know, the, the front line, we use technology a little bit differently. We use a bullet, what we call the bulletin application to communicate and to engage employees at that moment of information need. So they're never getting, you know, information that they don't value or they just simply don't need. So it's much like you as a safety and health professional walking through a facility and interacting right with your work population. So we focus on, on really data consumption rather than something to do like a task. You know, you can do shared lessons. So shared lessons are learned across the organization. If you've had a, an incident, this is certainly a way to, uh, uh, to, to bullet point, you know, what you want them to know about that incident. You could, you could uh, you know, take a picture of something that you want them to know about. So, you know, really the sky's the limit when you think about how you want to communicate and those important things that you can, can communicate. We have, you know, personally, a lot of clients that do acknowledgments, you know, thanking people for doing the right things, you know, acknowledging ideas, rewarding people. And then, of course, push notifications is, is one of our stronger suits. You know, you can highlight immediately, you know, what they need to see. So you have an active shooter situation, or maybe it's like Florida has sustained, you know, a hurricane warning, right? You can give information about that. And you can all do it, you know, through a mobile device or even a kiosk. But what we have found through our surveys is that the closer we get it to somebody or, or to, a, to a worker in the way that they want it, and I talked about, you know, the millennials are now the biggest people group that we have at work. They do want to see it on a mobile device. Next slide, please. And I'm just gonna build up on this, right? And communicating with, with purpose. Uh, we also see this as a way to heighten learning. So when you increase capability, through effective knowledge transfer. Uh, one of the more exciting things is, is how to do that. Uh, we think a couple of things, and I'll, I'll use, and, and <clears throat> I use this as, as I've kind of distributed this talk, is that we, we often start with macro level training. That's MAC. I'm from Kentucky, so sometimes they, they, they sound the same, but macro is classroom training. It's me standing in front of you, sharing and, and increasing your knowledge on a subject like lockout, tagout, or, or you know, energy isolation. So the better understanding that you need, the more complicated the subject is, we usually pull that back, we'll do it in classroom with an instructor. However, there's this journey, right, that happens. So now I've had that training, I'm gonna go to the operating floor, and this is our opportunity to use technology to leverage macro and I see, and those are small chunks of training, right? So let's say that they've gone through my energy isolation class. And what I want them to know is, you know, do, did you remember that the blue lock stands for personal isolation, that the red lock is for uh, group isolation, right? So you can continue their learning process. And we call these transition points. So the moments that really matter that can make or can break an employee's capability and what they are to do. So all of them are on a learning curve and what you have to do as a, as a safety and health professional is to decide, right, how I'm gonna make that person great in, in their capability and skill, or do I see them kind of shifting down 
to, to no longer learning or forgetting what was said within some of those classes. I think the most important barrier to overcome uh, is that learning should not all be classroom based. And, and we know that through a lot of, of surveying and studies that we've been a part of. So with this thinking in mind, this tapestry of learning is certainly something that technology could help you, you know, in, in your practice and in your organization. Next slide, please. So you're doing this, right? Whether you think you are or not, uh, you know, these are a couple of applications that I have on my mobile device right now, learning any language in 10 words a day, right? And some of you may have that one. Next slide. Next advancement, please, Justin. And the, the word a day. I love this. I, I learn a, a new word a day. And uh, when you're from Kentucky, that's a good thing, right? To increase vocabulary. So, uh, so those are a couple of things, but that is really micro learning. And, and many of you definitely probably have some of these applications on your mobile device. Next slide. So, you know, talking about bulletins for micro learning, you know, think about this. It's very concise. It's modular. It's easy to design. You can experiment. I was doing these for uh, for a client and actually our own organization. You know, during the pandemic, I literally had six or seven bulletins designed for micro learning within, uh, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. I, I had them loaded up and, and ready to go. We also had sent all of our folks home to uh, to their homes to work, right? So, you know, what kind of chair to buy? Do you know what a power strip to, does, right? So all of those kind of safety things, I was able to deliver through a, uh, through a bulletin from a, uh, you know, from a smart device. And then what I was looking for down at the bottom of that slide, you see, I understand this information, a thumbs up or I don't, and I need more information. You know, if you do, you know, get those type of, of um, of responses, then of course you can lead them to a policy, to a picture, to an SOP. So really, this really does open up your ability to not only know who's getting information, but do I understand it? I can deliver it and you understand it. And maybe you take that off of your training plan if it is well understood. Uh, next slide, please. Gaming compliance, I think that AI and MI, um, Filtering, being able to filter through information. Uh, we do this through a, a company that, that we bought not long ago called ESI. And uh, that fourth technology really looks at the advantages of using artificial intelligence and machine learning to do things differently, right? To kind of pile through all this data. And this technology, you, you can literally scan a document, let's say a permit or a regulation or a standard. Uh, through you know that system we analyze that document and then we start pulling out right these requirements that are important to you so think about it this way is if i could literally pull through 1926 or 1910 of the of the osha regulation and come up with a checklist of standards that you really needed to follow in your organization uh, it almost becomes your audit, right? How do I lead program very, very effectively? And then how do I integrate that within the management system? So one, you're auditing, right? And then you're taking all of that information and you're able to build out your management system very efficiently, you know, very quickly. And you can always stay on top of this, right? Because what you would pay maybe a consultant to do once every two or three years, you can literally do on a very frequent basis. So using, you know, this power of artificial intelligence and machine learning, 
is more efficient way and you know many times it's certainly a cheaper way to do it so those type of advantages are out there for you as well uh, next slide please and then yeah this is I, I've probably been been leading up to this is that you know extend EHS partnership with mobile finally you know and I said I most exciting it, it is really exciting for me because I, I just gauge everything with how I started. It allows you to really engage the workforce uh, and capture critical and timely data, allowing you to, to really assess your management system in real time, or at least near real time, and reducing those potential incidents and, and increasing you know, productivity. So mobile platforms, something that they can carry in their hands provides enhanced access to applications that are important to you. So if you have, you know, inspections going on or auditing going on or behavioral observation uh, or taking pictures of things with hazard ID and sending those things up uh, back to the cloud, right? There's just a lot of things that really extends your reach into the organization. You can use that information from the front line to uncover uh, predictive and prescriptive insights, and it really shapes your program. Uh, what I like to, to, to think about this is that for my entire career, as a practitioner, what I was wanting to do is to increase the ability to move from participation to what I call partnership. You know, employees own part of the program, and, and that was really important for me as a professional. I was certainly trying to do that by extending my personal reach into the organization, but what I was wanting to do is to, to create enough value at the manufacturing floor for me uh, that they wanted to partner with me, that they wanted to own part of this safety and health process, and I've been very effective in doing that. Technology allows me to do that deeper, better, faster, certainly more efficient than I ever had before. It allows me to get more information. So one side of this is an output, right? I'm sending information out to the front line, right? The way that I want them to receive it. However, the biggest benefit for me is to have them partner with me and give me information back so we can conclusively or together agree on the important things of the management system and do it together, right? So that's partnership. So my opinion, uh, this is where all of my success has happened and where I think it can really uh, embrace, uh, you know, these these ideas and help you is to, to bring EHS and safety and health, of course, to the front line and gain partnership. Next slide, please. So, so leveraging change and closing, and I know I went through this quick. I, I noticed I was running out of time. Uh, changes in technology, I, I do believe it's going to require strategy and culture change. Uh, becoming more familiar with emerging technologies, you know, for EHS, I speak about it quite often. So I would would tell you, link in with me, you know, because I do speak about uh, about technology often, and we do host some of these these webinars. New products are going to be entering into the market at a very rapid pace, and safety professionals will really need to find time and exposure through conferences and workshops to learn about them. Uh, being involved with your IT process and, and your organization is a real important facet of being successful. Uh, we were at uh, the, the National Safety Congress last week, and there was just a tremendous amount of new growth in the technology field. Uh, and you could see it, you know, with the vendors that were set up there. Begin now, I believe, and thinking about budgeting and think one year, three years, five years, what's 10 years look like for us? But technology products then, you know, you'll need to price them, right? You'll need to understand 
the financial impacts to your, you know, to your organization, and then working with IT, really, how do we budget these very, very effectively? And finally, you know, the process mo roadmap really is an important step for you. It enables you to to expand or redevelop this overall safety strategy for your for your organization. If you don't have such a strategy, now is the time to begin you know, developing one. I'm certainly a resource for you if you would uh, like to talk further about that. But I would just challenge you to get started if you're not started. And then if you're coming up with these roadblocks to, to reach out and, and to, to gain a consultant's advantage of understanding what is the proper path for you to go. All right, Barry. Well, I, that's about as much a, a guy can say from Kentucky in, uh, in 50 minutes. So I'll turn it back over to you. Well, great. Thank you so much, Scott. And thank you, Justin, for sharing your insights with us today. Just a quick reminder for our attendees, if you'd like to ask a question, feel free to click on that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen and type in your question and hit the send button. Uh, before we start the Q&A, I want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. Uh, the survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Uh, your input is important because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. Now let's get to some of those questions. And uh, um, Scott, I want to start with you. Uh, I smiled when you you mentioned that you had data lying everywhere uh, <laughs> early in your career, and I wanted to ask um, about that. You know, as uh, when EHS professionals think about using data differently, what should the expectation of that data be? I I, I think the first expectation. You know, one of the things, and and I was an early adopter of, of digital collection of data, right? So when these corporate platforms or enterprise level platforms came about, I, I was an adopter of that. And, and the first thing that I noticed is I was able to collect data, right? So at least I could go in and mine the data that I was really looking for. I think today, you know, what the safety and health professional should be looking for is, is a system that can parse that data, right? That can, can bring it down to these top two or three things that I really need to focus on. And that that comes through sometimes running algorithms, but at least being able to predict from a very high level of what you should be seeing within the system and then being able to respond to it with prescriptive programming. So I think that's where we are you know, today. The, the, I think the biggest challenge for us in safety and health is that we deal with people, right? So that's a very fluid part of, of what we do. And it is very hard to, to do finite, you know, prediction on some of the things, but we can certainly get closer, you know, with prescriptive understanding of how we need to take program to remove some of that variability from the work system. So I, I think it's that it's collecting data, centralized location, and then using tools to parse it down so you can make good decisions is to me, you know, what the most important thing is today, you know, for the safety and health professional. Great. Well, thank you for that. Justin, I want to send the next question your way. Um, and, and obviously with technology, uh, everyone is at a different part of that technology journey. And and for someone who, who may be just starting out or someone who may be stuck at a certain point of that journey, um, what advice would you have as far as getting technology more integrated in what you do as a safety professional? I, I think um, I'll, I'll make two points to that question. The first is to be very clear on the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, I think too often, many times, you know, this is a, a discussion about technology, but at the end of the day, um, if we focus too much on the technology, we, we may lose sight of the problem. And I think that uh, being crystal clear on what, what is the next most impactful th thing I can do to solve this problem um, will 
oftentimes increasingly lead you to a technology solution. And, you know, we, we Scott, great job talking about prescriptive analytics. And we see many, many of our customers ready for that. But at the same time, we also see many customers who are not uh, even using leading indicators. Yeah. And I, I, one of the examples that I always use is um, in, in part of our business, we do gas detection. And, you know, in my career, I've seen many, you know, if you are having combustible gas alarms, that is a great leading indicator of a pending, you know, pending potential disaster or, or, or of hydrogen sulfide or whatever it is. So um, are there, is there low hanging fruit that we can make uh, progress on? So that, so that, and oftentimes that low hanging fruit in our field uh, tends to be readily available leading indicators that we can, that we can start to apply and just to, to, to your, to your question, Barry, like how do we just get purchase on that and start moving forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are sometimes some of the things that, that will then, in a stage of maturity, take us to more prescriptive or, or predictive analytics. Great, thank you for that. We had a question come in from our audience uh, from Robert who wants to know, how do you incorporate costs and benefits with technology and, and what systems are out there? Scott, do you wanna take that or I'm happy to? You can start it, I'll finish yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that we have uh, that we've seen over, and I'm talking over years, is that I think customers or users are more sophisticated in how they view um, the cost of things. And you know, many times we are going in and implementing homegrown systems that are uh, you know that are that are difficult to manage, or that the people that know how it works are going and you know. So so. Um, I, I, I think the, the understanding what downtime is, understanding what um, the cost of organizational change, uh, I, I would encourage people that are looking to do that to try to take a holistic view of, of what change management costs and, and the whole implementation. And because and, these, these EHS systems, as everybody on this call knows, these, are, these touch so many different dimensions of the organization. And uh, particularly when we get, want to get that to the front line. Um, so um looking at i think looking holistically at that maybe would, would be the rough advice i give scott what are you saying yeah i i um so robert i i think that justin nailed it uh we currently you know for for organization we have an roi calculator you know so that we look at things like you know cost of injury workers compensation incurred direct costs right efficiencies downtime all of those things that you probably care about in your organization, and we kind of crunch that up, right? So we we basically give you a report of where we think that you know for for you know example with us, our technology uh, is a good investment for you, and, and sometimes it's not, you know. So we have to pare down a system t- to help, but we do have those calculators as as part of our organization to help you have that discussion, you know, with the C suite or senior leadership, so they understand it, and we go through a lot of parameters. That with information that's easily accessible to you, so we try to make it simple. But I, I'm certainly, you know, glad to help you with that on offline. You know, since we're coming to a close. 
Great. Well, Scott, I wanted to send the next question your way, and it's a, it's about a term. Uh, ESG is something that some of our readers at Safety and Health know about, and some may not. Um, so I wanted to ask you kind of a two part question, and, and Justin, feel free to to chime in as well. Um, how would you define ESG, and how will it affect the work of EHS professionals? Well, right now, I, I would say that a brunt of it is carbon emissions, right? It's understanding the environmental side of, of ESG. So, you know, scope one is learning about ourselves. And if you think about that, it's 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 really what we're reporting now. You know, so we're, we're capturing a lot of carbon emissions data, reporting that through various regulatory agencies. But it's going to grow. So scope two, scope three is going to get more concise and trying to understand your entire supply chain. So we, we think it's going to be heavily involved on the east side for, for quite a while. But on this social side, you know, where it's going to start impacting uh, safety, you know, some of that, I don't think it's been well defined yet, but but there are going to be metrics that we're going to be required to understand, but it's going to be more from a from a behavioral side, right? From uh, a, a hard metric side on the lagging indicators. But think about what what Justin said just a few moments ago of leading indicators. What are those leading indicators that are important to an organization that we're not following now? You'll you'll see some of that in, in the social channel. But right now, I think everyone is really kind of focused on on the carbon side, and and really trying to to understand that you know through. Uh, you know, through submitting information. Justin, you want to add to yeah, that? Yeah, I, 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 this is a topic that we could, we probably yeah. do need to have another <laughs> week, um, uh, webinar on because this is, there's just so many things to unpack here. But fundamentally, I like what Scott said earlier. Uh, there's benchmarking, right? We're benchmarking against each other. And I think at it's, if you kind of raise up above a lot of the um, really good debate right now around ESG, what I think we're seeing is, a world trying to harmonize on quantifying and comparing things that are really hard to quantify and compare. And, and the momentum that will come from that, uh, I am very excited about how we're, the kind of conversations we're having our, our customers ask us about, hey, how do we, you know, how many hundred thousand hours of work at risk do we have yeah. people at height in confined space, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The, we're, we're, we as as folks in this industry are, are going to and, and we need to be driving um, new means to define what excellence looks like and then to have all the the hard the, the bouncing off each other that happens in these kind of forums and in industries to to start to define new best practices because the heat's been turned up because we're now being compared in an element of of my company's ESG rating or whatever it is um, is centered around. Um, our safety, uh, our, our safety performance around leading indicators. So, uh, I, th I think there's a lot of very interesting things that are that are um, that are starting to really come in together uh, around what this what the motions look like to to improve. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, looks like we have time for one more question. And, and Justin, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, a, a question we hear a lot from our readers at Safety and Health is, how can EHS professionals balance technology and privacy concerns that workers may have? Yeah, I think um, that that's a great question. I'm not going to give you a great answer. I think it's a, <laughs> uh, there, there is a, um, there's a whole world uh, of, of, I mean, standard. I mean, there's there's a whole world of standards around around um, personally identifiable information, and that that we we as suppliers of the industry have to operate to. Um, 
So, so there's kind of the, the baseline of, of, of that, but then you get into um, areas where we want to intervene in the moment and we want to be able to drive impact at the, you know, at the point of impact in the plant, at the well, at the site. Uh, and, you know, and I think that we're, we're really interested in seeing how video analytics is, is playing out where, um, you know, we're able, we're able to do that without, uh, without compromising um, uh, privacy. Uh, so I think that that is still, um, I think that there's always going to be that tension between the two, but uh, I think we're, we're seeing things that are, you know, that, that I think are going to be, um, that are going to enable that. Certainly. Scott, quickly, would you like to add anything to that? I, I would just add, you know, we're just very compliant. We, we we really deal with secure information, so we really strive to be compliant with with HEPA and ISO 27001 and SOC two, SOC three, right? So those are some of the the security protocols that we have to jump over, right, to do business. And we're also a part of this ecosystem. You know, we we deal with ERM and Microsoft and Workday and, and HESA, right? So they have very very high security requirements. And uh, with, with technology, so we meet all of those, uh, especially for a company like ours. I think it is, you know, a, a question that you need to ask. And regardless to who you're dealing with, technology is to understanding how secure that platform is. We we've crossed that hurdle. You know, we deal with with large enterprise clients, so we have to be. But it's our value, right, to make sure that we guard your information. Great. Well, thank you both. And we appreciate your, your insightful discussion today. Uh, folks, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Uh, we thank you all for attending today's presentation, and we appreciate you taking some time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you goes out today to our terrific presenters, Scott Gaddis and Justin McElhatton, and the entire team from our sponsor at Intellex. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.